are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Romans 12, 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Thank you, Barb. Hey, Barb, do you recognize this shirt? Barb gave this to me as a gift a couple of years back for birthday or Christmas. A gift giving can be such a meaningful thing to do. I was thinking back to a special gift that I'd given my dad. His birthday's coming up, so I've been thinking through ideas. And when I was pretty little, I gave him a gift. Well, you know how it goes. Mom bought it, but I was giving it. And it was just one of those gifts I could hardly stand it. In fact, I couldn't. So I finally just went up to him some days before his birthday and I said, Dad, I'm sorry to tell you, but I got you a tackle box. (laughs) The whole premise of the message this morning is going to be around gift receiving and then gift giving. Last week, we started our fall message series, picking up here the second half of the book of Romans. We had done the first half of the book in the early part of the year. Then we took a four-month break, and we were in the Gospel of Mark, and now we're back for the second half. And we said last week, the timing of this couldn't be better. Here we are living through this rather difficult, contentious time, this divisive time that we're in. And the focus in Romans 9 to 16 is how to function together as the people of God. How are you and I going to live differently because we belong to Jesus? So we're following his ways, which are vastly different than the ways of the world. And we get to be a people who speak life and hope and forgiveness and peace. And we'll see all these things in the coming weeks together. So it's perfect timing. I hope that one day you'll look back on this season of your life and you'll think, yeah, 2020 and 2021, that was a crazy time. But I was studying the book of Romans. It has that much significance. It can change your outlook on so many things in life. It can show you how to treat others who don't deserve it in a way that you hardly recognize. And it's not coming from you, but it is the power of God at work in you. The whole premise today is about gift-getting and receiving and giving. Romans 1 to 11, 
the whole setup in the first half was what God has given to you and to me. And now Romans 12, it says, here's what we get to give back to God. This is our response. So let's look at the text together. I've got four summary statements as an outline this morning that'll lead us through the passage. And I want you to be able to trace Paul's line of thought in this passage. And the first point he makes is this. Give your whole life over to God as an offering of worship in response to his mercy. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And by now, if you've been hanging around here, you know that corny line that I've taught you. When we see the word therefore, we ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. Because it's a word where we're drawing a conclusion. We have to look up the page at what came before it. And Paul even alludes to what he's talking about here in this sentence. If we keep reading, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy. And so we're saying, oh, it has to do with mercy. And if you look up into chapter 11, you'll see this word pop several times. We're seeing God's mercy. And yet, not just in chapter 11, but this single subject has really been the focus since chapter 1. The whole first half of Romans is about how we were in trouble, we were lost in sin and running from God, but God showed us mercy through Christ. He sent His Son and we received grace instead of wrath because of Jesus. So when Paul turns the corner, like in a race, you know, around the track, and he turns the corner into this stretch of Romans 12, he's making a shift into the whole back half of the letter. In fact, verse 1 functions as the heading over everything to chapter 15. All that we'll look at in the coming weeks. All the way specifically to 15.13 would be the section. So he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, now here's what we get to do, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what we get to do. That's how we get to respond. In a sense, it's like saying thank you back to God. Now, this language of sacrifice that you see there in verse 1 in front of you is certainly familiar from the Old Testament of the Bible. To make a sacrifice in the temple is how the Jewish people worshipped God. It's how they received forgiveness, made atonement, and kept in a right relationship with God. But this wasn't just familiar for the Jewish Christians now in the first century. No, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were also very familiar with making sacrifices. The Romans, that's where Paul is sending this letter to Rome, they're very familiar with sacrifices they would make to their patron deities. So those are these false idols and homemade gods that they would worship. So Paul picks up on this language, and it's as if he's saying... Hey, let me tell you about the sacrifice that you get to make. It is not a bull or a ram or a thank offering of grain. No, he says, it's you. It's your life. In the passage, he says, your body, that means your whole being is an offering up to God. F.F. Bruce is a wonderful commentator who wrote this line I wanted to share with you this morning. The animal sacrifices of an earlier day 
have been rendered forever obsolete by Christ's self-offering, then listen to this, but there is always room for the worship of obedient hearts. Isn't it cool to think that your life, every one of us, regardless of who you are, your age, your life, how you live today on September 19th, or in this season, or in this year, is an act of worship. A thank you. And we know that you and I can't give God anything that would be of any merit. It's not as if we can pay Him back for what He's done for us or earn His mercy. Then it wouldn't be called mercy. The word wouldn't apply. I want you to think about if you've got somebody in your family with a birthday coming up. And you are going to give them a gift. And how weird it would be if that gift was contingent upon how they'd done over this past year. Some of you might save money if that's the way it went, right? But think about if this is for your son or your daughter, how weird that would be. Or maybe you're a sibling, and this would be a gift that you're going to give your brother or your sister. And you're giving this gift, but it is based on their behavior, on their track record. So, you know, you might just give them an old sock. I don't know if they didn't have a very good year. And wouldn't that be strange? A weird dynamic? Rather unhealthy? You know, behavior and consequences are an important part of life. But on a birthday, you just give a gift. And so I want you to understand this transaction that when God gives us his mercy, it's a gift. We don't earn it. We never could. And then we just get to give God our life back to him in return. But not in the sense of paying him back. We don't live a certain way now to gain points with God. It's just a way of saying thank you. God, you gave me life when I was dying. And now here, all that I am, it's yours. Paul says that is your true and proper worship. And that brings us to verse 2 in our next heading this morning. Number 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can do what God desires. This is another major imperative of the passage. And it follows as really an example of how we can go about this activity of giving ourselves up to God. And the example that Paul is drawing out is the life of the mind. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, he's saying, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world. Don't be swayed by the world around you. When I think of our students, our young people, this is our wish, our desire for them as they're stepping out on their own, as they're growing up amidst all the pitfalls and temptations and the things that will pull at them. We pray that our students will be steadfast. That they will know who they are in Christ and to stay clear of the things that aren't. Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead, here's what to do, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now apparently, I need to go back to science class. I'll ask you a question. Let's see if I had it right. You remember metamorphosis? I couldn't even spell it right this week because I was jotting that out. Yeah, it's the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. Or, now I'll never forget, the tadpole turning into the frog. 
That word, metamorphosis, is the word in this verse. Paul says, metamorpho. Be transformed like a caterpillar in a cocoon by the renewing of your mind. It's a great Bible word. It's a special one. It's not used very often. The only other place where Paul uses it is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want to share this with you because it's just so akin to our study today. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Think of that butterfly in the making. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. At my house, our deck has been showing its age. It's just the wooden deck. It is 10 years old now. And so some of the boards have started to rot. And I've been wanting to get out there and start replacing them and swapping them out. But, you know, the lumber prices, as probably many of you know, have just been crazy. And so I've just been waiting. My wife has probably been thinking I've been waiting a long time. But in her defense, I mean, some of them are so bad that if you step in the wrong spot, you'd probably go through the deck. It's finally time, and I went up to Marv's in Princeton, and I picked up some deck boards, and so one by one, you know the job is always easier and faster than it really is. I've been replacing these 14-foot deck boards, and it is not a fast process, at least for me. I mean, trying to get these old screws out of there is really a job, but... I can usually do one in about an hour. And bit by bit over these past weeks, the old is being made new. And one of the commentaries I was reading this week said, the renewing of the mind doesn't happen overnight, but is a lifelong process by which our way of thinking is to resemble more and more the way God wants us to think. So I want to ask you this morning, me to you and you to me, how is this process going in your life? Do you know we can cooperate more or less with what God wants to do in us? Did you know that? You can go along with it a little better or worse. And I have experienced both in my life. There have been seasons in my life where I've just kind of been on autopilot spiritually. Just kind of gotten into a rut and just stayed there, coasted. Settled for old deck boards, if you will. But God, it says, is about transformation. About renewing what is old or worn out or possibly even dangerous. And renewing the mind is the work that God would like to do in you. And so, if that's the case, we probably should be thinking about, what is the mind? You know, is the mind just where you solve math problems or do puzzles or gather information? No, the mind, according to the Bible, is where you think, perceive, and understand. In Scripture, the mind is the seat of the intellect and of wisdom. So it is the mind, follow this, that controls the will... And the will results in what you say and do. And this is why Paul says that when the mind is being renewed, when things are taking shape here and here, you're going to be able to test and approve 
what God's will is. So here's the question. If we have a role in this, this ability to cooperate with God in the renewing of our mind, how does that actually happen? How do I go along with that? You know, if you go home after church, your neighbor says, what are you guys going to do today? Probably be a little weird if you said, um, I was thinking I might renew the mind a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. But if that's what we want to see happening, how do we do that? How do you, in a sense, tear up old deck boards and put down new ones? Well, Paul doesn't, in this verse, give all of those details, but it's spelled out quite clearly in the rest of his letters and in the Bible in general. And we see that the mind, how we think, perceive, and understand, is renewed by things like prayer, reading and reflecting on God's Word, and worship. And wouldn't you know, that's actually what we do here on Sunday mornings. I think in any worship service we've ever had, those three things are present. We spend time in prayer, we read and reflect on God's Word, and we're here to worship. But lest we think these things are just about Sunday morning, that they're church kinds of things, the Bible tells us something different. These are things for Monday to Saturday, and not just for church, but for the home. That's why Peterson's paraphrase, if you've ever read The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, verse 1 says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And when these things start to happen in your life, not just Sunday, but Monday to Saturday, giving yourself to God, being transformed, the renewing of your mind, then God's will will start to come more clearly, more sharply into focus. Some of you hunt, and so it's like, now I'm looking through the scope, or I've got my field glasses, and I can see what I've been missing. As we keep moving through this passage, as I charted it out myself this week, you'll see that each following verse is expanding on the one before it. And so we see that as verse 3 comes into view. Part of a renewed mind, Paul is now saying, is that I can start to think rightly about others and my relationship to them. And if I can insert just briefly an application point to this, do you think that part of the reason that we are seeing such division and animosity around us is that people are not thinking rightly about others? Forget thinking rightly about issues for a moment. But do you think that might be the case? And if they're not thinking rightly, is it because their mind is not being renewed? Follow this. And if their mind is not being renewed, if it's not being transformed, is it because possibly they have not gotten to verse 1 to begin with and given their life over to God? And I recognize in my own life, sometimes I'm expecting Christ-like behavior from people who do not yet know Christ to begin with. In any case, this is where Paul is going in the passage. Unless we think it just applies to everybody else. Let's just keep it in here for today. And our third imperative this morning is, number three, think humbly of yourself and highly of others. Paul says in verse three, I say to every one of you, and 
by application, that would be every one of us in this room. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Have you ever been in a situation that needed some sober judgment? And maybe don't answer that one out loud. Just thinking of that word. Esther and I got to go out for lunch with the couple that was here last week, church planting in White Bear. So they came up on Friday. We took them out for lunch to the Tipsy Chicken, which is an interesting name, isn't it, for a restaurant? And I think the waiter was a little bit disappointed that we weren't going for all the fancy cocktails and all the things that she was pointing out to us. You know, if you've worked in restaurants, you make your money in the drinks. And I said to her, I said, yeah, I'm I'm sorry that we're going to disappoint you, but I said, maybe today it's called the sober chicken. (laughs) That's a little rabbit trail. Never mind. But you ever catch yourself, all of a sudden you just realize there's this inflated sense of self that I have got going on. And realize, too, that this can be a a very subtle thing. You know, not just Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, you know, the, the, the guy with the big ego. But I realized this week, just meditating on this passage, that sometimes in those moments where I, maybe some of you can relate to this, I might be hard on myself because I think I'm not measuring up. I'm discouraged or disappointed in myself. I realized this week that actually what that can be is a form of egotism. I mean, this is that subtle. Thinking too highly of ourselves can disguise itself in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to thinking too highly of yourself, says Paul, is to shift your focus to others. To think humbly of myself and then highly of the other guy. Just get to shift the weight. And this is the way to live in harmony with others. Tom Schreiner in his Romans commentary says, Believers who live wholly for God. What does that sound like? That's verse 1. Believers who live wholly for God, he says, are committed to community. And in Greco-Roman culture, this went completely against the grain. Because your highest goal, the folks that Paul is writing to, their highest goal in Rome was to seek honor and status. And I'm asking us, how much has really changed in 2,000 years? In 21st century America. I mean, we maybe don't wear togas that are color-coded with status anymore. But I want respect, admiration, and I want the nice things in life that I can afford. That's honor and status. But following Jesus leads a different way. And it's going to lead me away from myself and into community. And some of you, I hope many of us over the years have realized that we have something here at the Y Church that is really quite special. And it's certainly not perfect. But it is incredibly special And it's called Christ-centered community. That's what makes this what it is. Probably the best writer in the modern era on Christian community was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in his book, Life Together, he said this, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. 
He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. That's one of the reasons that we encourage everyone at the Y Church to be part of a Y group. The smaller fellowships that exist within the larger church. In this fall season, Y groups are starting up and I encourage you to get connected. You can do it right over there after worship at the connections table. There's a sign up to get connected to one of these midweek groups. There is a reason that family is one of the dominant metaphors in the New Testament. And this all brings us into the home stretch here in verses 4 to 8. And this is our last section and we're not going to be able to go very detailed into five verses here. But Paul is fleshing out this teaching on our relationships in the church. And he says, number four, use the gifts God has given you to build up the body of Christ. Now speaking of metaphors, this would be another one, right? The church is like a body. One body that's made up of many parts all working together. And we see this imagery not just here in Romans, but it's in other letters as well in the New Testament. And Paul says, just like the body has parts, the people of the church have gifts. And Paul says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And these gifts are often referred to as spiritual gifts. And in the New Testament, in different places, we add them all up, and then we see about 17 spiritual gifts. And in this particular passage in Romans, we have seven of them. So Paul is just naming some of the examples and pointing out that there are these different gifts represented across the body that all serve the health and function of it. And in this passage, we see prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. I started into a book this week that won a Book of the Year award in 2019. It's called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. And it's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who did her PhD at Cambridge. So in other words, she's a smart cookie. And listen to what she said. I mean, this is a book about science, all kinds of things. Right in the middle of the book, she says, The further I go on in life, the more convinced I am that every Christian is a struggling Christian, dependent on help from brothers and sisters who know their needs and vulnerabilities. Lungs don't work without hearts. Our legs without feet. We're simply not designed for solo flight. And I got to see a great illustration of this on Friday night. I was at the Elk River football game, and I watched the Elks handily beat Coon Rapids. I'm sorry to any Cardinals who might be with us, but one of my favorite guys to watch was out there and in the stands and was one of our juniors, number 66, T.J. Hill, who plays center. If some of you know T.J., He's just a little bit bigger than me. He could probably twirl me around and throw me across the gym. So TJ plays center, and it was just a blast to watch him, you know, in there grinding 
in and out every play. And if you watch football, you know that the guys who get the glory are usually the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers. In other words, the guys who get the touchdowns. But I want to ask you a question. Maybe the Vikings will catch the live stream. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) It's like subtle advice. Can you get touchdowns without the offensive line? No, you can't. Every player on that field has a vital role in the success of the football team, from the kicker to the quarterback to the good old offensive line. And I just thought we should recognize you this morning. Any of you used to play on the offensive line? Let's see. A couple hands. All right. Dan Dixon, Brian Bull. Let's, let's give them the applause they never got. And so just like those football players, we need each other in this place too. We have got different gifts and different roles to play, each given by God for the mutual building up of the body. And I've been thinking for a while, if you want to think with me more about this, we're probably due just for a season around the spiritual gifts. I don't think, some of you might be able to remember with me, we've never had a sermon series on spiritual gifts. And so I'm planning that for the early part of this coming year, and we'll get to go deeper. But along these lines and to close, I wanted to tell you the story about one of our Y groups, actually. This is a women's Y group, and I love the picture. This Y group has been meeting all summer along underneath a tree in one of the ladies' front yards. And this Y group in particular is made up of older ladies who are retired, who are grandmas, and in a season of life where they have been wrestling with these kinds of questions. What is my purpose? How can I contribute? What do I have to offer? And I was just thinking this week that maybe you have been asking these kinds of questions. Either because of your age, or because you're just not sure if you're really that gifted, or because you've never been able to answer those questions to begin with. Whatever the case, I know that each of those women under the tree has a vital role to play in the ministry of this church. And the same goes for you. Without exception. You have a purpose. There is a way for you to contribute and to offer something that nobody else can. And really, when we think about it, it all starts with verse 1, doesn't it? Give your whole life over to God. Let God change you and use you for His grand design. And so, what part of your life have you been maybe keeping for yourself? Where has the transforming power of God not been able to reach yet? Because you haven't allowed it. Today, my brothers and sisters, is a day 
to surrender every last square inch. To give it as a gift. To give it back to God. And to see what he will do in you. Let's pray together. Lord, perhaps the way that many of us want to pray this morning is just to say, all of me, this is what I want to give you, Lord. For all that Jesus has done for me, here is my life as an offering of praise. And Lord, I want to give you access to my life in ways perhaps I have not yielded before. By the power of your Spirit at work within me, that you would change me and use me, make me into what you have called me to be. And together as the people of God, we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.